I'm Talib Bizram, and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll take a look at how the advertising business is handling the COVID-19 era, learn about the future of podcasting, and hear how Dara Tresida is leading her company Carbon through this challenging phase. This is your Fast Break. As the country continues to reopen, many industries are adapting their business models to the future normal. Since podcasting has seen a huge leap in recent years, we wanted to find out how this relatively nascent industry is faring in the post-pandemic economy. Here to talk more about that is Dear Media co-founder and CEO, Michael Bostick. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Talib. Excited to be here. Excited to do this. It'll be fun. Great. So how did you get into the podcasting business and how did that lead to creating the Dear Media Podcasting Network? Sure. So um, nobody should ever take my advice, I don't think, because I, if you would have asked me five years ago if I'd be doing anything in this space, I would have looked at you strange. Traditionally, I'm a commerce executive that had built retail, direct-to-consumer brands, brands in the aviation space. You know, Prior to this, I was running a company called JetBed, selling beds for corporate and private aircraft. So you could not get further from the podcast space if you tried, I don't think. But along that period of time, you know, 10, 11 years ago, back when they called influencers bloggers, my wife had started a blog called The Skinny Confidential. During that time, you know, she was in San Diego State working multiple jobs, putting herself through college and couldn't afford a sorority and wanted to be able to connect with women around tips, tricks, lifestyle hacks, you know, healthy eating habits. And so she created the blog. And from that blog, you know, we started to get a lot, a lot of readers, a lot of feedback. My expertise at the time was marketing online businesses. I helped her grow. And she asked me to start writing on the blog. I said, you know, that's not necessarily for me, but what about a podcast? You can never shut me up. I like to talk. Why don't we do that together? Started as answering questions from her primarily female-based listenership or readership at the time. And, you know, how to build a brand online, how to have a healthy relationship, you know, how to eat healthy, these types of things. And that's how we got into podcasting. From that period, you know, we we joined a a prominent podcast network, thought that that was going to help us grow and quickly realized that because of their singular focus only on the podcast channel and not taking into account all of her others, it was a little bit limiting for us. So went back to self-producing, figured a way to this, you know, take a 360 degree approach, taking all channels into account, self-producing the show, hosting the show, marketing the show week after week, after four years, we still to this day have never missed a weekly episode, um, which is, wow. you know, it's not, it's not so common in the space. Realize, wow, we kind of found a different way to do this. Maybe we can do this for other creators. That was the inception of Dear Media. We, you know, I approached a couple of people we had met in the space that I had no experience here, no background, never been in media, don't know anything about talent management. But would you trust me to do this crazy idea to help amplify female voices in the podcast space? And lo and behold, 40 shows later in, in a Series A, here we are. Very cool. So, Michael, the company's mission is to help people create customized podcasts with an emphasis on female hosts and voices. Can you talk a little bit more about this decision? Sure. So, you know, like I said, I had been a marketer and a brand builder for a long time and primarily catered to a female consumer base. My wife had been speaking to 95% female base for the entire inception of her blog. When we started the podcast, that's who we were speaking to was primarily females. And when we looked at the top charts, it was very male dominant, all the typical male shows that you've seen. And, And what I realized was, there's obviously a huge appetite from female consumers. There's an appetite from female hosts, but why is there not more amplification of the female focused shows? And in addition to that, coming from a marketing consumer standpoint, 
females make a lot of the household purchasing decisions. Like why is there not a concentrated place where brands could come and connect and feel very confident that they would be reaching their target audience. So, you know, it started as a very mission driven company to one, like attract more female listeners to the space, attract more female hosts, and two, to amplify and make the the top charts a little bit more even in terms of the the types of voices in the space that were represented. So let's talk a little bit about how you got started. Back at the end of April, you received a rather large amount of money in Series A funding. How do you see your company changing as a result of such an investment? You know, the first two years of this company, and I think this if there is any advice I could give to entrepreneurs is you know, run lean while you can and, and run a profitable business. I personally didn't take a single dollar of salary prior to that series A. I put every single dollar back into my team and into the talent, into the infrastructure. You know, we were managing 20 plus shows with six or seven team members, which if you, you know, are familiar with the podcast space, that is a heavy workload considering we do everything in-house from sales to distribution, to production, to marketing. It was like, you know, it was a lot to manage. But what we realized is that we were able to operate in a really lean way and in a profitable way. So the Series A, it just enables us to do more. We're going to invest in our infrastructure. We're going to diversify the content, not just in the types of voices that are on the network, but the formats of content, you know, getting into more scripted stuff, you know, really tapping into different formats that I think can exist in the ecosphere and what our audiences are craving and looking for. Really, it's, it's not just about the podcast ad revenue. It's really about like, what can these channels turn into? And so the Series A is exciting because I can now build the infrastructure to capture those opportunities. So, you know, podcasting is such a crowded field. How do you stand out perhaps from a, from a sales point of view? So, you know, we get asked this question a lot about who our competitors are in the space. And while there's many companies that I think create amazing audio content, I think what makes us somewhat unique is that we're not solely focused on the singular channel of podcasting. And so when we built Dear Media and because of my ignorance in the space, I created all the contracts to be able to bring opportunity to any channel that touches a talent's brand, whether that's a podcast collaboration, a podcast collaboration that includes a blog recap, a social recap, a live event, YouTube. And in addition to that, we also built a caveat that if any of these hosts have an idea for a product-based brand that we would potentially be able to bring opportunity, logistical support, funding support, marketing support to those as well. So really this is a platform for creators that want to do more than just build a podcast channel. They understand they can use this channel as a launch pad for many other mediums and many other channels and, and ventures. And, and that's why we have a much longer term approach to a lot of the people we work with, which is, you know, we want to see what this thing looks like three, four, five years down the road, not just from an ad revenue standpoint and, and an immediate opportunity. You know, some might say we're living in the golden age of podcasting, but I was surprised to hear that there's been a decline in podcast listenership since there's not much else to do right now. But I guess that commuting has been cut out of people's lifestyles. How have you tackled this at Dear Media? We've actually seen the opposite. We're, we're up about 25 to 30% in listenership since COVID. Wow. Because we had run so lean and for so long, and because literally Lauren and I started a show out of our living room, we knew what it took to self-produce from home. Dear Media pivoted quickly, sent all the host at-home equipment. Everyone's using Zoom. Everyone's recording just like this. We did in the beginning, I think some of this data was put out there early on when the entire world was scrambling around trying to figure out what was going on, what our new normal would be there. I think a lot of people were jumping into the news cycle because we were scared and obviously concerned about what life was going to be. And so we lost the commute and there was a dip in the beginning. But over time and for the last few months, we've actually seen an increase. It's more of a flat listening curve as opposed to a spike. People not necessarily jumping in day of subscription release, but taking more time to listen on home devices, on their phone, on their computers. 
and in, in the industry that I think is really feeling the the dip of that commute is traditional AM FM radio. You know, I always joke and say, if I told you right now to turn on your AM FM radio in your house, people kind of look at you crazy. Like, how do you, how do you even do that? And so, uh, I think what we're starting to see is a lot of people from those mediums discovering podcasts and jumping in. And I compare this to, you know, on-demand television. You would never go back to just typical cable television once you know you can fast forward and pause. And I think the same thing is going to happen with podcasting. Well, that's really exciting to hear. Um, According to some media research, during quarantine, people have been gravitating towards content that blends audio with video. Is that something you consider? Yes. You know, in the beginning of Dear Media, it was really important to me personally to make sure that we were an audio first company. I really believe in the medium. I think it's one of the only mediums that exists that gives the consumer back their time. You could be cooking, cleaning, commuting, working out and listening in the background. It's productive. Whereas with video, you know, you have to actively pay attention to video. And so in the beginning, we were really focused on primarily releasing the audio. That being said, we have all of these recordings on video as well, but only to promote the audio and to capture new listeners because I just think, you know, to listen to a 45-minute episode is easy to do, but to actually sit down and watch for 45 minutes is harder. Mm-hmm. But it's a great marketing tool. It's a great tool to bring in new audiences to get them familiar with podcasting. And so you will see a bigger emphasis from Dear Media. But in the beginning, we didn't want to just be another creator YouTube studio. We really wanted to distinguish ourselves as a podcast network. Right. So a bit of an audio purist. I just believe in the media because it's selling back consumers or time. And as we get busier and busier, you start to look at things like Uber and Postmates. What it is, is it's selling back our time. And I think audio does the same thing. Sure. Um, Michael, could you give some advice to women who are entering this space for the first time? I mean, I think the biggest piece of advice and where I'm very candid in the beginning of any conversation with Dear Media is make sure that you are actually really excited about podcasting and talking on a mic. I call it the rule of 25, where I believe every individual can get on a mic 25 times and and have a unique episode. But what does it look like after that? You know, are you still excited? Are you you diversifying the content? Are you you talking about something new? Um, Are you passionate about the space? Are you evolving the show? So I would go into it the intention that this is a a long-term thing. And then now, more than ever, I would start to think about how you can stand out in a unique way. I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of different shows. There's a million plus now. That doesn't mean that it's oversaturated and that people can't get in. But I think the days of just being able to get on the mic and talk about anything without a unique perspective or point of view are over. And you have to launch with, you know, some kind of unique angle. And over time, as you build your audience, you can broaden out. Think of it like an upside down triangle. Great. What would you say to people who might say, you know, this is a project for expanding female voices, but it's headed by by a guy, by you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a big hesitation in the beginning. My co-founder, Raina, is a woman, and it was a challenge that I had to tackle head on in the beginning with her. I had a lot of conversations both with her, with my wife, with the women on the network, and, you know, always was aware that this was going to come up and, and how this would look. But ultimately, what I realized was I have worked with strong women my entire career. I've worked with my wife forever. My first example of a strong woman is my mother. She's run her company for a very long time. Like I've worked with Raina for a long time, and I've worked with the women on this network for a long time. And what I realized that if we could get to a place in this country where men and women are working together to amplify these voices, like that's ultimately where we want to get to. With the Me Too movement, we saw a lot of people, you know, get called out that should have been called out. And I think we've, from that, we've seen a lot of positive action that's taken place where now men and women are working together to really uplift women. And, and so if I can be part of that, I'm happy to do so. From an outside perspective, sometimes it looks strange, but to me personally and to the women I've worked with and to my partners and to the shows, it's been a very natural collaboration. 
The issue of diversity is more important now than ever. We're seeing the Black Lives Matter protests go on right now. And there's been a call to include more voices from people of color. Is that something that, that you've discussed? Yeah, it's been something that we've been discussing. You know, the intentions of this company in the beginning, and, and I'm not someone who makes excuses, I'm just someone who calls it as it is. You know, in the, the beginning, it was to amplify female voices. We could have done a better job of amplifying more diverse female voices, all female voices. But it's been a conversation we've been having internally for a long time. And with the rise of this movement, what I've seen is a lot of companies releasing statements and, tr and trying to talk about what they're going to do. And what I've told my team internally into the talent that we're talking to externally is that, I'm not so interested in words. I'm really interested in actions. I'm, I want people to see what Dear Media is going to do and some of the announcements we're going to make over time. And I think that's what we'll be judged for. The, I will say the road to, to hell is paved with good intentions. And we started in a very narrow vein and we're going to broaden that. And um, I think Dear Media can be a leading example of a company that takes all of these conversations very seriously and hopes pave the way for men and women of all walks of life to amplify all voices so that every woman or man that listens to this network, and it's primarily women, will at least see some version of themselves represented here in some way. So can you give us a, a little bit of a taste of what we can expect to hear from Dear Media in the near future? So we're in a lot of really exciting conversations with a lot of new shows, a lot of exciting talent jumping into space. A lot of these women on the network have brand ideas for themselves. We're getting ready to invest and make a couple announcements in some of those brands. We're looking to capture on any opportunity that makes sense for our audiences. We're a non-risk averse company. We'll take some chances. It's not necessarily about what it looks like in the short term, but what this looks like in the long term. And we're just excited to build new and unique projects to continue to move the podcast space forward. Well, this has been pretty directly helpful to us. As a new podcast, Fast Break is an evolving project, and it's really interesting to hear how other podcasters are changing and identifying new ways to create content. Yeah, it's an exciting time. I mean, what we're seeing even from companies like yours, like a lot of big media firms are starting to take this medium very seriously. And I think it's a really smart decision. I mean, taking a look at a, an image or an article is one thing and it's great, but you know, having someone in your ear every week talking to you, in my opinion, there's no in, more intimate type of content. And so I think we're going to start to see a, a real explosion from this space and, and I'm happy to be part of it. Great. Well, I hope so too. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show, Michael. Thank you so much. Recently, the Fast Company editorial team started a series called The Shape of Tomorrow. The goal is to check in with business leaders about how the pandemic is transforming their industries. Here to give us an overview of what some advertising leaders have to say is Fast Company staff editor, Jeff Beer. Welcome back, Jeff. Thanks, Tom. So what are the advertisers asking themselves these days? Well, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot going on. And when I talked to Widen & Kennedy Chief Creative Officer Colleen DeCourcy, now Widen & Kennedy, they do the bulk of Nike work. They do work with Fords, McDonald's, Facebook. I mean, major, major brands. And, and she had a pretty insightful take on this. She said, we've, we've talked about the death of irony before, but I think this could be the death of bullshit. <laughs> you know, and, and some of those questions she was saying, that what this situation has put a spotlight on is the importance of these questions, which is, what did a campaign or ad actually do? What did it do for the brand and what did it do for the people? Brands shouldn't just be enjoying the work for how creative it is or how many awards it, it wins, you know, from an industry point of view. It, it should really have real measurable results, but also is it entertaining or helping consumers in some way? And I think another thing advertisers, specifically ad agencies, are asking themselves is, what am I worth? Because 
when economic hard times hit in business, often one of the first things to hit the chopping block is the marketing budget. You know, DeCourcy also had an interesting point here. She said that one side effect of this pandemic will be the wiping out of sorts of people's preferences for certain brands. Instead of saying, when I go to the, the pharmacy or whatever, I'm getting this specific brand of toilet paper or toothpaste. In this sort of time, we're just interested in getting toilet paper or toothpaste. It doesn't matter. What, you know, if it's on the shelf, good enough. So as a result of that, you know, when this is over, she thinks brands will be forced to reintroduce and reprove themselves to, to us as consumers, which of course, is where an ad agency can come in handy. And if you got some insider knowledge on where to get some toilet paper, that would be helpful too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. So you've been covering a lot of the company responses to the COVID outbreak. Uh, can you discuss some that have had good intentions? Yeah, certainly there have been a number of different responses. Translation CEO Steve Stout said that while some brands use this crisis as a selling point, which he called humble hype, which is like, hey, we're all in this together. Why not buy this product type of approach? But the ones that got it right in terms of messaging were the ones that took the brand's product and needs kind of out of it and led with, with empathy. So he said that brands that discounted something that people actually need in this moment, or even just speaking to people in a way that's empathetic to what they're going through, which kind of sounds like common sense. But when you get into the complexities of business and a whole bunch of people in a boardroom cannot come through sometimes. So he really sort of pointed to the idea of brands taking the shine off themselves a little bit more than usual and keeping the, the spotlight on people and the consumers and what they're going through. Well, let's talk about how some advertisers have shifted their operations. What are some of those changes and what do they look like? Well, obviously working from home is easier for some jobs than others. You know, while ad agency creative departments can meet over Zoom, actually shooting a commercial is, is a bit tougher. Margaret Johnson, who's the chief creative officer at Goodby Silverstein and Partners out in San Francisco, she told me that uh, one of their clients is Panera. And she told me, you know, one of the ways they were adapting was getting Panera delivery drivers to actually shoot footage. And they'd be texting back notes and directions with the creative team on different scenes. And, you know, this was a quick sort of shift move and how they don't usually shoot commercials like this. I mean, there are sets and everything. So she said that, yes, that all that seemed really foreign at first, but she thinks that those agencies and companies who, who don't or, or can't embrace this type of agility are in big trouble, whether it's this situation right now we're in in this current pandemic but for anything that may come in the future that's fascinating maybe we'll find the next scorsese and a panera delivery driver you never know <laughs> you know i i imagine a new business model might feel like the wild west for advertisers since it's completely unprecedented for them how has that opened up creative opportunities that's a good question i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of ways into that in terms of, you know, how brands are responding, how companies are adapting. But one of my sources for this story was uh, Jamie Robinson, who's a chief creator officer at Joan Creative in, in New York. And she was looking at the idea of branded entertainment. And she told me she sees the limitations imposed by the pandemic as fundamentally changing the entertainment landscape, where some of the traditional gatekeepers are, are pushed aside. Now, in a, in a non-advertising example, she used how John Krasinski basically usurped Ellen as America's daytime talk show sweetheart. Uh, uh, right. 
from his living room with some good news. So she talked about how seriously this, this whole situation has disrupted the Hollywood pipeline of content. And she said, you always want a brand to be in service of its audience. And sometimes that's utility. Sometimes it's a business innovation that provides relief. And sometimes it's about entertaining people because, you know, some of the conditions that this pandemic has set in, in culture and in business aren't just going to go away. Like even when there's a vaccine, I think that some of the things that the new normal will remain. And TBWA Worldwide CEO, Troy Ruhanen, talk to me about an increased interest in voice in that he meant, you know, what brands do around personal assistance, like Alexa skills and things like that, and AI chatbots. Brands should be seeing an opportunity there. But one thing that more broadly he talked about was, was brand values and behavior and how they're much more important right now. He said, we're going to see some trends come out of this, whether around cleanliness or something else, but there will be actions you take that will actually demonstrate you give a hoot about the consumer. And it's going to be shared and acknowledged that you're behaving in a way that's in the interest of the consumer. And I think what he was saying is over the last few years, there's been a lot of buzz around purpose and brand purpose and companies saying a lot. And when there's no pandemic and no emergency situation, you can say and put out all the right messages uh, you want. But when the stuff hits the fan, your actions are what counts. And, and he says that this situation has really shown that, you know, the brands that really put action behind their words are, are going to be the ones that are most successful. Sure. Well, talking about long lasting brands, because I'm an absolute sucker for nostalgia and, and cheap beer. Uh, I found myself enjoying Budweiser's rehash of its classic What's Up commercial. And don't worry, I'm not going to try it in person. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good one. And it got a lot of positive attention. I, I think, you know, it struck a balance between taking the situation seriously in that, you know, it acknowledges that this is not business or, or culture as usual, but still able to have some fun with it all and not devolve into the sad piano music, empty streets trope that so many other brands did over and over again. This was a prime example of taking the situation seriously, but, you know, seeing the opportunity to be lighthearted about it. Right. I imagine it's a tough balance to strike. And, and I think they got it just about right. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming back on the show, Jeff. Thanks, Sal. Appreciate it. And here's Dara Tresida on how she's managing her company from home and what changes they've made over the last few months. I'm Dara Tresida, the Chief Marketing Officer at Carbon. Carbon is a leading digital manufacturing company. We're finally taking 3D printing beyond prototyping into actual production. As soon as the pandemic hit and we started to see the shortage of medical supplies, we knew that we could do something to help. We knew our technology could help with local for local production, helping to address some of the problems that were arising. And so we mobilized and brought together our global community of customers and partners to start to work together to address the shortage of personal protective equipment for our healthcare workers and first responders, and also to produce nasal swabs to increase testing capacity for COVID-19. So it's been a remarkable journey that we've been on with our global community of customers and partners. You know, we've produced over 270,000 face shields in eight countries. It's really wonderful to be able to be part of something bigger, to step up 
and help in a major way. I think one of the biggest challenges that I experience, right, is how do you communicate? And we've been trying to keep it fresh and interesting. So sometimes as a team, even though we are all remote, we might go for a walk. So we'll have our, our Zoom calls while we're out on walks. So instead of using the video function, we're just talking like a normal phone call. The other thing we've been doing is doing costume competitions to you know spice it up and bring some fun into the room. And we've also been doing trivia. It's that that's actually been really fun. You know, I, I didn't grow up in the United States, so there's a shocking amount of things that I don't know. And I'm learning a lot actually through our trivia games that we've been playing as a team. So I think just keeping things interesting, understanding that this is a really challenging time for everyone and trying to bring some fun into things has been a great way to just sort of keep the team connected and keep people energized and motivated. So really striking that right balance in leading communications for the company has been something that is top of mind for me. I'm constantly thinking about it. I wanna make sure that we're sharing enough I want to make sure we're sharing enough in the right way with the right channels so we're not overwhelming people. And I think that's really something that's important because communication is really how we're going to stay connected through this time. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran. <laughs>